0: This is Cabernet and True Crime, the place where good wine and true crime come together. Hello, party people! It's me, Jana, your second favorite podcast host. <laughs> I probably don't even make the list. That's okay. I don't care because I'm my own favorite podcast host. And as you'll notice, still no intro music. Um, I've been sick, still, and did okay i can say that i held up on my promise i did find the microphone for this uh but i don't have an adapter to my cell phone so work with me here work with me we're gonna figure it out before next week we're gonna figure it out it's episode 63 guys and ghouls it's uh it's yeah um, I did sound a little bit like Miley Cyrus earlier in the week, so I was going to record last night, and then I was like, no, 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 give myself one extra day, and did it help? Probably not. Uh, I don't sound like Miley Cyrus anymore, so that's cool. Uh, I am back into, and actually, I was going to say, I had to sacrifice going through Spider City to get the microphone, because my office is just the space where wolf spiders really like to hang out for some reason, and I... I don't typically hate spiders. Uh, I actually don't mind most spiders. I don't want them on me. Like, don't you know? Don't get me wrong. I don't want them near me or on me. But I, I don't mind them like being in my house as long as they're serving a purpose and doing their job. But wolf spiders, man, I can't. They're just too big and too spooky. So there's a lot of wolf spiders in my office, but I have braved them all to find this microphone to only find out that I don't have an adapter to it. So. That being said, um, I did did hold my promise, and I am in Spider City again, because I'm trying to use this room. I don't ever really come in here, and uh, it's mostly because, like, well, it's kind of sad to be in here before Penny passed away. This was, like, the last room she was really in before she left this plane, and so, like, being in here reminds me of her, but, like, there's, I can't just let there be a whole room in my house that I don't use, because that's just kind of weird. So, like, I'm making myself be in here and enjoy this space, so... (laughs) <laughs> have have your little dab of mental illness for the day enjoy hope the flavor's good um that's that so no other than that um really no housekeeping uh for the most part um Nero is just outside the door he's got a super hard toy so if you hear some banging around it's nothing spooky or creepy it's just my dog uh yep uh, nothing else to report besides the fact that I'm working full time and I go to school, and that's boring and old news. And I feel like you hear me complain about it every week, and uh, that's that's I just don't really have a very exciting life right now, um, and that's okay. <laughs> Not everything has to be exciting all the time. It just I'm in a I'm in a kind of break period of my life, and it's fine. Today's episode though uh, is one of those ones where I had to do a lot of digging to get a lot of information. And I honestly don't know why with being, like, sick and being under the weather, I decided to take on such a task, but here we are. Um, I was intrigued, and I wanted to know more, and I just, I feel like uh, anytime I do that, I kind of want to dig into it more, and I feel like maybe you guys want to hear about it, so that's why we're here today. (laughs) Um, I wanted to know more about, like, so France's first serial killer, and I I have an argument with this, but we'll get into it. So these crimes took place, like, in the 1850s, late 1850s. And, uh, like, he's not the first French serial killer, because that's wrong. That's just an incorrect statement. Jack the Ripper took place in 1888, and, I mean, I don't consider him to be, like, necessarily modern, but, I mean, there were definitely serial killers before that, right? And, like, I read somewhere... That the person we're talking about today was the first french serial killer and that didn't seem right to me because it seems like the 1850s were definitely serial killers before that especially on the record you can't tell me this guy was like the first on the record serial killer and he wasn't uh he only happened 20 years before jack the ripper and of course there were serial killers that are documented back to the 1500s and so i'm not exactly sure where this site got their information from um but I also couldn't find it again. So I don't, I could have just imagined that and went down like a rabbit hole to prove something to myself. Uh, but he's not the first French serial killer. So if you see that this guy is not him. So plot twist, (laughs) he's not the guy. Either way, no matter if he was the first, the 50th, the 107th, I'm not sure, but we're talking about Martin, Domolard today, um, which I'm sure there's a very way more French way to say that. But the American version that I'm gonna go with today is Martin Dumillard. Um he was called the Murderer of Maids, and he was a suspected vampire cannibal. Uh, nothing to <laughs> nothing to uh even possibly even remotely suggest that to be true, but we'll we'll get there. Um and I just picked him because it's been a minute since we talked about vampires, but I um Really going to be disappointing to tell you that this has nothing to do with vampirism and i still don't know anything about vampires if you know you know so martin was born in 1810 um june 22nd 1810 his father was from pest Hungary, which i would here's a rabbit hole i this is the eastern part of budapest which i didn't realize for like a super long time buda and pest were separated by a large river and it wasn't until like 1849 or the 1850s that the two regions were connected to make budapest so you learn something new every day uh martin's dad pierre Dormalard, which was not his real name in any sense i don't think um he came from pest and moved to france which is a bit of a hike it's like a 14 hour drive if you were to do it today it's alleged by Martin himself that Pierre had to leave Hungary because of criminal reasons, and it's suspected that he was on the run. Pierre met Marie-Josephette Joseph Josephette Ray, who was a French native. They got married, and they moved between Dagna and Tremoy, France. And like I said before, in 1810, they had Martin. And then three years later, the couple had another son named Raymond. But That child passed away at a really young age. And weirdly enough, uh, the village, everybody around the village all called Martin martin raymond as a nickname which i think is weird uh yeah let me call you by your deceased younger siblings real name that's going to be your nickname like i think there's like at least a 100 better nicknames than that that you come up with and in 1814 this gets a little crazy um in 1814 we go back to Martin's dad being a criminal I mean he was but we're this is the time we're gonna bring that back up and this part maybe doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me and I tried to research it more but without getting into like the whole political history of Hungary I don't know if I'll ever be able to understand but according to a book that I can't read because it's cited multiple times but like I don't know if this book actually exists or not because they never listed the name of the book just the author and this author wrote a bunch of books so until like i go through and read every book this author wrote i'm not going to know um i'm not going to know if this information is true or not and just because it's in a book doesn't mean it's true um but so this book says that in 1814 the Austro-Hungarian forces arrive in Aisne, France, where Martin's parents and all that were living. But according to history, um, this didn't technically happen. So I went through the Austro-Hungarian, like, army and the forces and, like, their history, and this, there's no evidence of this ever actually happening, like, for real. And unless it was, like, some unofficial thing where, like, these, like, Hungarian forces just kind of, like, meandered their way throughout France. Um, and for the sake of the story, we'll assume this happened just for like the next couple minutes, and then we're going to go back to doubting it again. So this Hungarian army, which is like a really big deal, Austria-Hungary was geographically the second largest country in Europe after the Russian Empire, especially by like World War I when that happened. Uh, so they had a big army, you know, you get it. But they, they come to France for whatever reason, they're in France. And Pierre is worried that he'll be spotted. So he flees to Italy. And plot twist, the army forces are also in Italy and they recognize Pierre, which for me makes this whole thing even less believable because unless, like, Pierre Dommelard was, like, this crazy notorious criminal, which I think you would know because you would probably be able to Google him, like, if this man was such a, high, a high-stakes a criminal that, like, he had the army looking for him and they were able to recognize him, right? Uh, I feel like we would have known about it. But, so these random soldiers apparently, like, recognized him or he was worried about them recognizing him and i even bring up it's not like he was nationally broadcast on tv like it wasn't like america's most wanted where your picture's all over the place it's the 1800s so like word of mouth and like a recognition like these random soldiers are going to know who you are i like i don't really buy that personally i don't believe that but anywho I, i i could just be really overthinking this i don't know i i don't believe it but either way according to the legend um they recognize pierre and they capture him and for whatever the heck his crimes were like (laughs) i don't know what he did or whatever the story is but he's executed by dismemberment so whatever he did he gets caught he gets uh like sentenced to execution and they dismember him and then on top of that which how wild all of that is like that's all crazy and really wild of step one but step two apparently Pierre's wife Marie Joseph uh she decides that it's a good idea to take Martin who reminder was only four years old at the time to watch his dad get dismembered and I mean what that's probably i mean i get the 1800s were a different time and like maybe people weren't so sensitive about like what their children saw but like at the same time holy crap dude you're gonna gonna take your four-year-old son to watch his dad be executed in like the most traumatic way possible like dismemberment you want to go watch daddy get dismembered like that's just that's insane and absolutely not child appropriate i mean for any time period i don't think that's appropriate but I mean, that's, I have a lot to say about that, but I won't because, I mean, I feel like I said everything I needed to say. Um, and a huge disclaimer, a majority of all this information, like everything you're going to hear today was translated from french and what it could get out of the the wikipedia article i hate relying on wikipedia articles but like all these articles were i had to translate them and they were all bad and they were really hard to understand and so i kind of had to like at least lean on wikipedia to kind of piece these pieces together because this puzzle did not make any sense so it's kind of chaotic and i had a really hard time um, sorting it through the information so at age eight uh, Martin begins to work as a shepherd, and he works as a servant in a castle. There, he meets Marie and Mar- Martinette. Martinette. They get married, like, way later in, like, 1840, when Martin is 30 years old. Um, nothing that I know of happens in between those two time periods. In 1842, Martin's mother dies. And, like I said, I'm trying to piece this together because none of these articles... They're not in any type of chronological order, but... You're really going to have to work with me on this one. But, so, apparently martin's mom is left poor and he just leaves with his wife they abandon her to go to Lyon um for crimes that they had committed i don't know what crimes they had committed it doesn't say but the articles say theft so they just ditch her and she's left poor and she dies and like that's martin's like screw you mom i'm out which is just kind of wild but so this is where all the crimes that we know about start and the crimes that get this the crimes that get this guy on a podcast level crimes. And so around the end of 1855, which mind you, uh, Martin is 45 at this point. So he really didn't commit any serious crimes up until like his mid-40s, which is kind of uncharacteristic for a serial killer. So you'd think that he must have been doing something in the meantime. But so in February of 1855, a body was discovered by hunters in the forest near Tremoy. Unfortunately, the identification of the victim took several months. The victim... There is a yellow jacket in here right now. Holy crap. Wow. I'm sorry. That just scared the crap out of me. There's a yellow jacket in my office. and just flying around. Sir, it is October. What are you doing? Okay. Sorry. I just hope I don't get stung. He's over there now. Um, so the victim, the identification of the victim took several months. The victim was a female and um, was originally identified as Marceline Janelli. And to try and help solve the crime, a photographer came and took pictures of the body, which are all still available today. They are actually on the Wikipedia page. Um, The victim was laid out on the porch of a church for the pictures. And um, as a note, if you do try to look into this case a little more, the picture isn't particularly graphic. Um, It's not like the Jack the Ripper pictures that still truly haunt my dreams. Um, She looks like she's sleeping, although she's naked, and her face has some swelling and contusions. But, I mean, it's if you accidentally see it, it's not going to, like traumatize you severely in any way um so we've just a oh, disclaimer that is on the wikipedia page and it's like on the sidebar so if you're sensitive to that i, I wouldn't look at the wikipedia page um these pictures uh the victim so she they show people the pictures of this woman and she's correctly identified as marie bidet and she was id'd by her family members actually her landlady stated that on the day she disappeared they had been arguing about her rent and marie mentioned that she had received a better offer for a different place to live and then she disappeared so i'm assuming the landlady didn't think anything about it because they had discussed rent she's like nope i'm going somewhere else it's fine and then she was gone so, um, there was a suspect for this murder. His name was Jacques Verger. Uh, he was imprisoned for three months before being exonerated, which we'll get to that. And then a second suspect was also considered. His name was Martin Morait, Marieate, um, and this didn't pan out to anything as he was in prison at the same time Marie Bidet was killed. So the case goes unsolved. On March 4th, Olymp Alubert, uh, came forward saying that she had been assaulted, she said that on February 25th, a man approached her offering her a good, well-paid place to work. She was looking; uh, He was looking for a servant. The following Sunday, which would have been that March day, he picked her up and took her to his home where she was assaulted, but she was able to escape. Um, her description of the man said that he has a misshapen lip. He inspired with confidence, despite his swollen lip, with his good nature, um, speaking French very well, he seemed to be in his 50s. In September of that year, uh, Josephette Charletti, who was a servant already, said that a man had approached her to come work for him as a servant. She said that the man had repeatedly asked her about any savings that she might have had, which made her uneasy and she didn't trust him. She said that she would meet him the next day but returned to her home village instead. She filed a complaint against the man. In late October, this man, <laughs> Martin, tried the same tactic on another woman, Jean Marie Bourgeois he offered her to become a servant for him and they, um, they had to travel to his farm. Like, so it, his farm from my understanding is kind of a hike away from these places where he's like searching for women to be his servants. So it's like, it's at least a day trip because there's a couple stories where they, they camp out overnight. So like, it's not just a mom, I live five minutes down the road. Like let's head over there. Like it's, you've got to plan for it. Like these people, he's offering people's jobs. They have to pack to leave, to travel. <clears throat> so he offers her to become a servant for him, but they have to travel to his farm, wherever it was, and they agreed to leave the following day, and as they got going, Jean-Marie became increasingly suspicious of this man, so she bolted and ran toward the first farm that she saw. The owner, owner of the farm found her, and he was apparently aware of the Marie Bidet incident which didn't happen too far from where he lived. So he said it was suspicious that she was in the same boat that Marie Bidet had more or less been in, and he told her to go to the authorities because the similarities seemed odd. Um, This situation, though, is the one that cleared Jacques Verger because he had been in jail for the murder of Marie Bidet, but um, Jean-Marie did not recognize him, which I think is interesting to exonerate somebody um, based off of you don't recognize this person unless they're solely going off the fact that like they think their perpetrator has this messed up face and i would assume that jack verger did not so they're assuming in my opinion that they're that the same person is doing all this so they caught on i guess kind of quickly and i mean judging by the fact that he had to like move around i'm assuming martin domalard kind of had like a rap also he's a very recognizable kind of misshapen person so i think that like maybe those two combinations come like together or like oh well You're not this weird, misshapen dude that we have kind of have a name for, so you're good type of deal. I don't know. In November of 1855, and we're backtracking just a smidge, um, Domillard was able to convince 22-year-old Victorine Perrin to go with him. Uh, He told her that she'd have a good place to stay, so it doesn't even really sound like he was necessarily trying to hire her, but she packed up all her stuff and apparently put all her valuable goods into a small trunk, which Martin offered to carry. And halfway to his home, where they were headed, Martin just took off with the trunk and the girl's possessions, stealing basically everything she owned. A few years pass, and things are quiet, because until, like, January of 1859, there isn't much on Martin, Domillard, or any reports of girls being tricked into following him. But with most of these stories, all good things come to an end. And somebody's... I wonder if you guys can hear that. Somebody is sawing something outside my house. <laughs> I don't know what that sound is but we'll continue on all good things come to an end because in January of 1859 Julie Fargate, Far, Fargette <clears throat> don't know how to say that sorry if I'm butchering it uh, she is freshly homeless due to pregnancy and I'm not sure what kind of rules there were around that so I'm not sure why she lost her job but that's all I know but so she's freshly homeless and doesn't have a place to go and Domillard approaches her with his usual tactics offering her a place to stay and a job which obviously works so she accepts his employment, and um, as they travel toward his home, uh, that night while they're on the way there, he attacks her by pulling off her apron, which contains um, her entire life savings. She screams so loudly that two villagers heard an approach which made Martin Domillard flee. Um, the crazy thing is, right, so she goes to file a complaint and have the authorities look into this guy, but she didn't have any identification because Martin had stole it, obviously, so because she didn't have anything and she didn't have any ID or anything, she actually gets charged with vagrancy. So like they they charged her with the crime of being homeless, which is just such a fucked up thing, right? And I'm sorry, I'm starting to lose my voice. I knew it was going to be a short, uh, short-lived thing, so I'm trying to, trying to get through it. Um, 11 months later in December, a man named Jean-Pierre can't even guess how i should be saying that so we're just gonna skip it uh he witnessed an attack on a woman but the woman was never found or identified so he had seen a woman traveling with a man who was carrying a package and after a bit she had come running back to him saying that the man had fled stealing her parcel her savings and her personal belongings and jean pierre let that woman stay with him for the evening but he never got her name and she never came forth with any details in april uh Oh, sorry. In February of 1860, more about Domelard's habits are learned. When he is in Lyon, he's a very habitual person. He eats at the same place. He sleeps at the same inn. And it's like clockwork. And like I said, he's a very um, interesting looking human. So he's very recognizable. And he has the same routine. So, one of these times he stays at this inn, he's accompanied by a woman who he says is his niece. And he asks for a room with two beds. And only minutes after showing the pair the room, the innkeeper noted that the woman had fled and Domelard had chased her. Later, after the fact of all these crimes, Domelard's possessions were searched, and there was a chest and several dresses that matched items that this unknown woman had um, known to have owned. And it's un- unknown, actually, though, what happened to the girl. In April, Domelard meets Louise Michelle. He convinces her to come to work for him and from the story pretty easily. They agree to meet the following day and travel on horse to his home. At one point of the journey, he attacks Louise and tries to steal all of her belongings. She runs away and strangely enough, is more or less rescued by the same man who helped Jean-Marie Bourgeois. It was the farmer who had her go to the police to report her attack and ultimately freed one of the suspects. So he's rescued another woman. He's a hero. He's a cool guy. You know, we like that. So he he actually is there to kind of save the day again. But um, Domillard scatters and goes a different way. But he runs into some other familiar face which are the people who had seen him two years earlier which were the villagers that came running when he tried to steal julie fargia's belongings so it's all come full circle they've both run into people who are already part of the story which is why you shouldn't be a fucking stealing thieving butthole in a super small french town because obviously people know who you are especially when you're fucking weird looking so it's like you're you're kind of out of your mind and people are checking in on you because they know what you're up to so we've run into people that we've known before uh <clears throat> sorry so yeah the villagers came running when he tried to steal when he did successfully steal julie fargiat's belongings she was the one that was charged with vagrancy so louise michelle exonerated another possible suspect because she didn't recognize him either so apparently they had another person in jail and she didn't recognize him. And we're just letting people go based off of the fact of not recognizing him. Which is also very weird because you know you've got Martin Domillard who looks like a crazy guy, got a weird, misshapen lip, and he's like a huge, bumbling, not very sneaky human. But they can't, they keep arresting the wrong people and just keep letting them go. It's kind of a weird thing. But so all these pieces are kind of uh, coming together because at the same time, um, like I said, if you've seen any of these pictures, he's not like a man you forget like he's got a very interesting rememberable face he's just a really weird looking guy and so he's gonna stand out in a lineup of people so if you got him in a lineup these people would recognize him on may 28th 1861 martin de approaches a woman named marie pichon on a bridge and he offers her a job as a maid she accepts so she puts her belongings in a trunk and travels with martin to the train station and after this, so they they ride the train, they get off the train, and as they're walking through the woods and it's dark outside, he attacks her and tries to strangle her, but she escapes. <clears throat> she runs to a farm where she describes her attacker and everybody knows who he is because all they say is like, Oh yeah, I got attacked by this dude who looks fucking crazy. And everyone's like, Oh, yep, we know who that guy is. You should go to the jail or not the jail, but you should go to like the police or the authorities or the judge to be like, Hey, I got I got attacked by this guy too so after all this hubbub starts the judge is alerted and he wants the suspect arrested because obviously he's a nuisance and just not a good person so since you know he's been up to this crap for like six years now so on june 2nd 1861 martin Dumillard is arrested and of course marie pichon recognizes him immediately so the investigation established that one of the objectives of the murders was theft of like mostly fabrics so during the search of the home um. So, they, they obviously, during the investigation, they searched his home, and the investigators found 1,250 women's clothes. <clears throat> so, garters, stockings, petticoats, handkerchiefs, lace shawls, hats, dresses, whatever, all belonging to these victims of either theft or murder or robbery or whatever. <coughs> Sorry. So, Martin and his wife, Marianne, were held in prison until their trial, which was scheduled for January 29th, 1862. So obviously Marianne is getting lumped into this because all these items of women's clothing were found in her house. And obviously she did not purchase these items of women's clothing. So obviously she had to have known what was up. So while awaiting trial, Marianne is integregate, interrogated interrogated, and she uh, tells police that her husband had done more crimes than they had originally known. And she said that he had killed a girl in 1855 and left her in the woods. And he had returned with her belongings, including a pair of gold earrings, which they found during the trial. So he returned to the woods to bury her. And on July 31st, 1861, Marie Anne takes the investigators to the woods where a body is found. But Martin denies killing this girl. After hearing about Martin being caught, three women came forward to report that their sister had gone missing in February of 1861. Her name was uh, Marie Eulalie, <coughs> Sorry, Bassad. Um, she had been approached to work as a maid and during the trial articles of her clothing were presented and the girls recognized it as belonging to their sister so when seeing martin domillard one of the women recognized him as the man that their sister had left with and martin domillard shockingly told everybody like yeah i know where the body is and i'm ready to take you there so he showed police where the body was so the sisters could have some closure and this is very fucked up so sorry in advance um i'm not sure how much closure they could have because uh and i don't know if whether this was like him trying to do a good deed and it being much darker than it is or if he just wanted them to know what had happened because marie Eulalie was buried alive after being sexually assaulted so that's fucked i don't know what his intentions were if they were actually good or if he just wanted them to know that that's upsetting So Martin Dommelard's trial went from January 29th to February 1st, 1862. A crowd of nearly 5,000 people showed up on the first day. Martin had two lawyers, several journalists were invited to report on the trial, and a popular bookseller was responsible for the transcript. The first day was spent going through all the charges against him, and also there were 71 witnesses scheduled, uh, and Marianne was interrogated in front of everybody. So, the next two days were spent going over all the evidence, um, mostly the garments and the woman's clothing, and then the last day was about closing arguments and, like, the trial ending. Um, so, the jury deliberated for about 15 minutes and then came out to ask a few questions, and then they retreated again and came back 30 minutes later. Martin Dumillard was sentenced to death. Mary Ann was sentenced uh, to 20 years of penal labor, which you should know about from last week. Um... <laughs> Plot twist, but not a plot twist. Marie-Anne did not survive the 20 years of penal labor. She died in prison in 1875. Martin tried to appeal his death sentence, but it didn't work. Um, Thank goodness. He was chosen to be killed by guillotine, which is, I think, maybe he should have been the one (laughs) dismembered, maybe not guillotine. But on March seventh, eighteen 1862, everyone made preparations for Martin's execution. He was allowed to eat uh, his last meal with Marie-Anne, And on March 8th at 4 a.m., he arrived back to a crowded um, area waiting his execution. He met with the priest, drank a cup of coffee, and enjoyed a glass of Madeira wine. Um, And actually, it was a big deal because they tried to have the execution super early so that people wouldn't show up to it. Uh, Like, maybe not so huge of a crowd. But even though it was at, like, 4 in the morning, there was already a crowd there. Martin Domillard was executed by guillotine at 7 a.m. that morning. Uh, He was buried in an unknown location, but his head was not buried with him. Um, it was put in a special box and sent to uh, the Leon Medical School where it was studied intensely. His face skin was put on a mold, like a bust, to highlight his misshapen lips, but it's it's made with his skin, like his real skin. And then there's a three-dimensional head that was made out of clay that is also kind of part of the set, and his skull and head were kind of forgotten about after the fact. Um, skull and head, his skull and, like, skin... I guess, were forgotten about, um, and it was remembered in the 60s that they had it, so they were looking at it again, and at first, I'm not sure if it's accurate, I thought they were, like, trying to figure out what was going on, like, in his noggin, like, the brain, but they didn't save any of that, um, but they determined that he had a tumor, like, a benign tumor under his lip, and that's why he was so goofy looking, um, don't know if that's why they saved his everything for that unknown, um, but the clay head and his real skin mold head are at the testut la Targette, uh Museum. do with that information what you will. The um, funny thing is, is that, like, you know, I think last week I mentioned Les Mis and the whole story of Les Mis, but a notable reference uh, to Domillard is in Les Mis. Uh, Victor Hugo wrote five years it will be said is unlikely alas it's true social suffering begins at any age have we not seen recently the trial of a man named domillard an orphan who became a bandit who at the age of five say official documents being alone in the world worked to live and stole so he's in les Mis. i didn't know until after like once i got to this part so it's a complete coincidence um the vampire thing didn't come till later um and I don't I don't even know where the vampire thing came from, because in any type of research, I didn't find anything like any serious allegations of him being vampiric or like drinking people's blood. But it was on like one weird article of like like a weird vampire, not fetish website, but, like a weird vampire like website. But uh, he wasn't a vampire. Also, all the information like on the website was wrong. But that wasn't the only place I saw him being a vampire. There was a couple other things. So I don't know where people got that from or, like, why that was a rumor that spread. But it it is what it is, I suppose. Because there's nothing, there is absolutely nothing that I saw to suggest that he was a vampire or that he drank people's blood. That seems pretty far-fetched and, like, not super likely in this case. And I just think he was primarily a thief who happened to uh, kill people occasionally. Like, he, he's considered a serial killer by the definition of serial killers. And, yes, he killed people. But, like, it does, that doesn't seem, at least from, like, what we know, that was, like, his intention. Like, he didn't set out for the sole purpose of, like, killing people. It seemed like he set out to steal from people. Um, but I don't know. I don't know the guy. I never met him. And that's that. That's episode 63. Isn't that crazy? We're cruising right along. I say that every week, but it feels good to be moving and doing stuff again um but I did I ordered the part of my (laughs) um microphone so it should be here by next episode and I'm hoping to because I didn't want to record an intro because I figured out how to do it I didn't want to record an intro and my voice sounded all like scratchy and gross so I was waiting um but so next week it should be a big week and hopefully I already know who I'm going to research and like I'm already kind of excited for it so hopefully next week episode 64 is going to be a good one so with that being said thank you for listening if you've made it this far um follow me on the instagrams I always forget to say that but I always post I post something every day I got a lot of good content coming at you um yeah I think that's all I have that's everything I got so uh see you next week